What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is the third of three mini-series with our friends from Mavonic here, uh, Hendrix, Nadine, Sanjay. Thank you for, again, taking the time. It's been a great two uh, first two episodes. We're really looking forward to this third episode as well to, to round it out. We've been chatting about Avonix business, about plasticizers, about phthalates, about uh, some of the myths surrounding DINP. On the last episode, if you caught episode number two, we went through a long list of myths surrounding DINP and what it can and can't be used for and some of the regulatory challenges and really debunked all those myths. So if you haven't streamed the first episode as a background on Avonix and on phthalates and plasticizers, that's a great, great episode. Uh, episode two as well was fantastic with debunking some of the myths surrounding DINP. And with this third episode, we plan to get into some of the common false or misleading media claims out there these days. Um, we have a, a good little list of some of the claims that are out there and really hoping to correct some of these these claims that are out there. So um, Hendrik, Nadine, Sanjay, again, thank you for taking some time. Um, maybe briefly, obviously, there should be, hopefully, people are streaming all three episodes. So, um, you know, obviously, I have a good background on Avonic and, and the three of you guys, but maybe briefly as we get into it, if you want to just introduce yourself and your, your position with Avonic, that would be great. Yeah, I just started. Uh, so my name is Henrik Fischer. I'm responsible to manage all the association advocacy activities uh, of the business line performance intermediates of Avonic. And besides that, I, besides that, I really love to talk about chemistry professional but also my private time perfect sanjay want to go next sure thank you uh, ben again and tcc for the opportunity it's a great forum to discuss about uh, talents plasticizers so my name is sanjay kakar and i'm the business director for the performance intermediate business line responsible for plasticizers uh, business in in us i'm based out of parsipti new jersey uh, with a chemical engineering background, uh, and I look forward to support my customers with uh, with with, with the solutions utilizing plasticizers as one of the specialty product that Evonik uh, supports in this market. Nadine, last but certainly not least, do you want to give a background on yourself as well? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Nadine Engel, and I'm a toxicologist at Evonik, and yeah, I'm working uh, in the hazard and risk management team and i'm responsible for for the yeah hazard and risk uh, evaluation of of plasticizers as mentioned in the beginning obviously there's this is the third of our three-part mini series talking about phthalates about plasticizers and some of the claims and myths out there uh, in the media um, obviously hope you've streamed both the first episode as a good background on on plasticizers and avonics business and, and specifically dinp and what it means around phthalates um, episode two was great debunking some of the core myths that are out there about plasticizers so we'll get too far into that um, but we will jump right into episode number three which is really getting into some of the common false or misleading claims out there um, Hendrik, I believe we'll throw the first one over to you, and that is regarding exposure to plasticizers via dust. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a very Im important thing to discuss because um, um, the the INP of telate use in in the flooring is a very important application and a very beneficial application for society. Um, yes, and just to the facts, yes. Phthalates, as other plasticizers, can migrate uh, through the PVC matrix and can even evaporate into the air. 
But if you really look into the data, it becomes clear that the effect is negligible small. Um, it, um, the reason for this is um, that DIMP, as any other substance, can only accumulate in the air to the point of vapor pressure saturation. But this uh, technical level, uh, no, this um, technical value um, is very, very low for DIMP. Um, and you can only reach this very low level if um, you give the whole system enough time um, uh, to set. So just think about um, having a, a PVC flooring with DIMP in your children's bedroom. Um, I think that's something that um, could create some some concerns by by parents. Um, the saturation level of DIMP um, can only be reached after 15 to 20 days without any ventilation or air exchange. So that is not really a practical uh, uh, thing that happens. Usually you ventilate your, your bedroom uh, more often. But even so, if you really let um, DIMP evaporate until the saturation level, this level is far, far below any uh, critical tolerable daily intake value of DIMP. So yes, there is technically um, some evaporation um, or some exposure to human um, via dust, but the, the overall risk and the, the level that you can reach is really neglectable. And by this, absolutely no risk. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, the second claim that we have here listed is, and I believe this will be answered by both uh, Hendrik and Nadine, is that rubber boots being connected with uh, CMR substance exposure. Do you guys want to get into that one a little bit? Um, yeah, it was the connection of, of rubber boots in, in which they found uh, CMR substances or so-called CMR substances. And yeah, here in this example, CMR substances substances were referred to plasticizers and DIMP as one of the identified plasticizers that were found in the rubber boots. But um, in episodes two of the series, we already um, elucidated that no hazard is identified for DIMP. And there's a lot of data available to prove the absence of hazard. And DIMP is definitely not a CMR substance. And it has been extensively assessed by regulate, regulatory uh, agencies um, that DIMP is not classified for carcinogenic, mutagenic, and reproductive toxicity. Um, that stands for the abbreviation CMR. And yeah, because, um, or this is well known for us or me as a toxicologist and for regulators and authorities. Um, this does not mean that the general population knows it uh, as well. And also in many cases, there are reports in print media or television in which a certain hazard of DIMP uh, in consumer products is reported. And um, this misinformation in media is often due to insufficient research of regulator regulatory information. And yeah, media 
might not always have all information at hand or do not put so much effort in it to collect and assess all information. And yeah, maybe Hendrik can uh, elaborate on the real media example uh, you, you were mentioning, um, Ben, and the activities um, they or he initiated. So we, we see it quite often that, uh, as Nadine explained, uh, that there are some media reports out there that just put everything into one pot. And then there's kind of misconceptions. And we also seen this uh, beginning this year with the TV report on hazardous pesticides and rubber boots. And at the same time, they were connected with the existence of DIMP and those. Uh, and there's, of course, the, the conception that then they also DIMP might be carcinogenic or mutagenic or reproductive toxic. And it's not good to use those rubber boots. But this is just a wrong statement. Um, what we do, either as an individual company or uh, as part of industry associations, that we try to reach out uh, and offer uh, information, offer kind of education. And um, yeah, this is always very helpful. Um, and also, those reports, when we got aware of this and really have an open dialogue. Um, with the journalists, and sometimes we really see that those reports are withdrawn from the public board because they produce a wrong picture about the real um, uh, the real issue. So part of our job uh, is really to try to educate the public uh, about scientific facts uh, of pesticides, and we do, do not just invent those facts. So those facts are all in uh, publicly available uh, peer-reviewed journals, and we also do not do this just in, in, in Germany or in Europe, but also in the US. Um, currently, there are some discussions in the US, uh, some developments and movements, uh, some dossiers. Um, maybe uh, Sanjay can uh, comment a little bit about what's happening uh, in the US on that field. No, thank you, Hendrik um, and Ben again, and Nadine for introduction quickly on this one. So yes, as you said, yeah, we are experiencing some level of pressure from various authorities, um, including media and NGOs and private groups within the US, such as US Plastic Pack, uh, for generalizing the use of phthalates as an ingredient and common use on as a as a as a as a demon. Um, so and and they're trying to introduce legislations. Uh, in, into the into some of the states uh, for for banning this as as a, everything uh, which which has talents in it which Hendrik and Nadine and we already discussed in the uh, last two episodes that everything cannot be categorized in one basket so we have to separate them out with the with the scientific data that we have available so so to, to change this public perception and uh, that's ongoing. Uh, there are some some ongoing legislation in the New York City in the food packaging area in in Maine for the whole banning all the phthalates, uh, very general ban, which we obviously think is not right. And then in Washington State again, identifying the the, the health and environmental impact from the the general use of phthalates. Um, this has been going on for some time. And then again from the U.S. plastic bag kind of basically identifying uh, the PVC-based thing and banning them. And this is an NGO initiative. 
I, we, we, we personally feel that these are all very, very general uh, perceptions, putting everything into one basket to ban. So we are working with some of the, our, our partners, uh, American Chemistry Council, we are working with Plastic Industrial Association, sharing uh, key information, the scientific data uh, that we have uh, worked with, with various uh, uh, resources to, to share this data, to get, get change the public perception and fight these, uh, fight these generalized uh, legislation slash bans issued by these various states and NGOs. I think this is also one of the values that uh, we bring into the whole supply chain, that we are able to understand the scientific information, uh, populate also own research, um, that we are able to uh, be part of the general uh, public discussion about plates, uh, plexisizers and even the PPC industry. And I think this is a huge benefit and value uh, from Evonik uh, to the whole supply chain, also to secure uh, the, those uh, beneficial uh, substances also for the future. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a, a, a huge, I'm sure, part of your business and a growing part of your business. It's not just producing great products. It's not just doing the reporting and having the lab work and having the facts behind it, but it's also obviously getting the word out there, getting the word out there accurately, expressing these facts. I think it's obviously easier to to distribute and, and get some of the negative facts out there and it's it's maybe less interesting to a lot of the general public for the the positive facts and the actual facts so um you know, i think it's great there's a lot of great organizations doing a lot of great things both from the producer standpoint as in Novonic and some of the partners that you guys work with and we work with like the american chemistry council and with plastics and you know hopefully this podcast series will even just move the needle just a little bit more to getting some of the facts out there straight from you know Avonik's point of view um so certainly a a diverse part of your business and, and something that i'm sure has grown over the past maybe five or ten years with some of these media claims and how social media has grown and whatnot um so a great overview and, and obviously shows the importance of working with the media and, and getting the word out there um one of the other false or or misleading claims that we had listed here was that plasticizer consumption may be connected with elevated blood pressure um, i think nadine would you get into that one a little bit uh, yeah, this is uh, also a good topic, Ben, and uh, I know that there are rumors of correlation between phthalate metabolites and high blood pressure um, of pregnant persons. And um, yeah, but the effect of the high blood pressure could not be causally linked to the phthalate content and the exposure. And there are also other reasons that could uh, could be yeah, found as a reason for a high blood pressure during pregnancy. For in example, the um, yeah normal increase uh, in body weight that a pregnant person experience during pregnancy, and uh, yeah also the blood circulation changes during pregnancy as there's a developing fetus um, that is supplied with maternal blood, uh, leading to changes in in blood pressure. Um, yeah, so if some researchers report a correlation of high blood pressure and phthalate, this does not necessarily mean there's a causal relationship. And yeah, in a scientifically correct data evaluation process, um, other confounding parameters needs to be 
taken into account and uh, excluded to clearly identify a relationship and uh, a trigger for the reported effect. And yeah, this um, has to yeah has all to be uh, assessed. And um, yeah, it's important to understand the uh, mode of action and elucidate a, a mode of action and yeah of phthalates um, and yeah to understand what the phthalate is really doing in the body and yes as we can see from our also guideline compliant animal studies um, and also from several data from epidemiology as plasticizers and phthalates are so widely used we have uh, epidemiology data available there is no causal relationship um, and known mechanism for high blood pressure during pregnancy, which could be clearly linked to, to phthalate um, exposure. And yeah, it is more a biological and normal effect in, in pregnant persons um, of elevated uh, blood pressure rather than a toxicological relevant finding and correlation. So I want to say that in general, um, yeah, we must be cautious with some rumors and literature publications and don't have to take everything as proven, but rather to think about statements and to scrutinize some statements. Yeah, I think a, a, a great response to that that claim and, and uh, you know, an, an important message to get out there. And so our, our final piece of these, uh, maybe not something that's necessarily false or misleading or, or one of the claims that are out there, but getting briefly into the sustainability behind plasticizers. I know sustainability is a popular word these days. Um, I know many companies out there are looking to develop potentially new products or things that are targeted to be sustainable. Um, but of course, that doesn't inherently mean that existing products, including DINP, aren't necessarily sustainable themselves. Um, so I think, Hendrik, you had a, a thought or two on the sustainability of, of plasticizers and, and maybe DINP specifically. Yeah, I'm really thankful that uh, we will end this podcast series with this nice topic. You know, sustainability is too broad and too big to come to a conclusion in two minutes. Um, but just let me uh, emphasize one point. Um, you, are, you cannot talk about sustainability uh, without the whole supply chain. So let's talk about sustainability of the market where we sell our plasticizers into, that is the PVC market. So the sustainability uh, benefit of, of uh, plasticizers is clearly linked with the, with the sustainability of the PVC industry. And the PVC industry is a very sustainable industry. PVC is a very sustainable product. Um, I am a member of Vinyl Plus Europe, that is the sustainability initiative of the European PVC industry. And this organization has existed for more than 20 years now. and um, developed own targets for sustainability, starting with the uh, substitution of lead and cadmium. So the Vinyl Plus has set uh, in the past targets for recycling of PVC. And in 2020, the target was to recycle and put into new products 800,000 tons per year. And in 2025 and in 2030, they have even uh, increased targets. So in 2025, more than 900,000 tons, and in the year 2030, more than 1 million tons of PVC 
has to be recycled and put into new products. So I'm not talking about the so-called thermal recycling, which just means burning of PVC. No, it's really putting into new products. And this, of course, is a fantastic and successful uh, sustainability story that the PVC industry has to tell. And the plasticizers that uh, Evonik is producing are safe to be used and safe to be reused. And they do not make, make an issue in, uh, in recycling. So for instance, there are all so-called legacy additives like lead or DEHP, where there's discussion about it. Uh, if really it's recycling is the best way to do this. And there are arguments pro and cons, but um, the plasticizers that Evonik um, is producing, they can easily be part of the whole sustainability success story of the PVC industry. So, and that means for us that also the plasticizers are a vital role in the area of sustainability. So that is my very short answer um, to sustainability. Of course, I could have told you more about uh, uh, changing uh, the raw materials to be uh, able to have more bio-based or renewable uh, plasticizers or plasticizers based on renewable, renewable um, uh, uh, raw materials. Um, that is another story that could fill more than two or three minutes. But overall, in a nutshell, sustainability is very important. And with plasticizers that we put on the market, we are part of the sustainability story. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That sounds like it could be a whole maybe three-part mini-series in itself, just talking about sustainability around the PVC industry and plasticizers. But great to hear that there's a lot of initiatives already existing with, with DINP and, like you said, some of these legacy products that they can be recycled, they can be reused, and they really do have that sustainable aspect to it. I'm sure in five years and 10 years and 15 years, there'll be new raw materials and sustainable, you know, bio-based raw materials for DINP and whatnot. And I'm sure one of the most exciting things with the chemical industry these days is seeing some of the, those initiatives come together. But at least for what we're able to do today, for what we can focus on today, you know, the fact that DINP and these plasticizers and PVC are able to be recycled and, and considered sustainable is, a, I think, a fantastic step and a, a positive note for the PVC industry. I think that's a great summary to that episode. I think there's a, a lot there, a lot in all three episodes. You know, I'd like to take the time to thank the three of you for all the work that you've done putting these episodes together and, and Ivanic as a whole for, you know, coming on the episode, for allowing us to to help get the word out uh, in partnership with Ivanic. I think the chemical company and Ivanic has had a fantastic long-term relationship, I think has a fantastic future coming and, and, and is a bright spot in the industry. So again, wanted to thank you guys for the time, for the work you've done to put these episodes together. We're excited to share them, excited to get the word out there, um, and excited to continue this this global partnership with Ivanic. And uh, you know, who knows, maybe have a follow-up follow up series here soon talking about some of the new myths that are coming out and new ways that we can continue promoting DINP in the plasticizer market. So again, just wanted to thank the three of you and, and look forward to sharing these episodes episodes now and we also wanted to thank you for the opportunity to uh, for to evonic and i think we appreciate our partnership and looking forward to support uh, uh, the business and 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 growth of plasticizers in the u.s market and and, and globally yeah also from my side oh, uh, thank you and uh, i hope it's now well understood that dimp has a good toxicological profile and yeah, can be used in, in many applications and it's uh, safe in, in its use. And my final words are, uh, I really love to be on this 
format. For me, it's a new format to, to do a podcast, but I would like to see more talk and discussions about chemistry and the benefits of chemistry uh, in such uh, nice formats uh, in social media, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and so on. Um, so I think it's a very good opportunity for us, and it's really uh, um, helpful for also for, for the general public to, to use this kind of format. So big thanks to you, Ben uh, and TCC, to organize this and to spread the news out to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think it's been a fantastic platform, a great way to get the word out. Hopefully we'll have all of you here in Rhode Island sometime soon. We'll fill up our podcast studio and have an in-person discussion, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but again, glad we're able to do this here virtually. Um, I think it was a great three-part series. Looking forward to getting the word out there. Um, as always, wherever you're streaming this, whether you're watching the video version or the audio version, please scroll down. There'll be links to the other two episodes, as well as obviously to more information, both on TCC's website, as well as a Vonics website with some of the products and various regulatory and, and uh, technical data on these plasticizers and products. So once again, thank you, Ivonic, for coming on. Uh, look forward to sharing these episodes and we'll talk to you soon.